Today is June 10th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am so grateful that you've joined me today as we continue our journey through the Bible. Committing to daily study and meditation on God's Word brings us so many benefits. It strengthens our faith. It gives us wisdom and guidance for life's challenges. It brings us peace in times of struggle, and it helps us to become the best versions of ourselves, to become the people God created us to be. So without further ado, let's get into this word. Today we are reading from 1 Kings chapter 7, the Good News Translation, Solomon's Palace. Solomon also built a palace for himself, and it took him 13 years. The hall of the forest of Lebanon was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It had three rows of cedar pillars, 15 in each row, with cedar beams resting on them. The ceiling was of cedar, extending over storerooms, which were supported by the pillars. On each of the two side walls, there were three rows of windows. The doorways and the windows had rectangular frames, and the three rows of windows in each wall faced the opposite rows. The Hall of Columns was 75 feet long and 45 feet wide. It had a covered porch supported by columns. The throne room, also called the Hall of Judgment, where Solomon decided cases, had cedar panels from the floor to the rafters. Solomon's own quarters and another court behind the Hall of Judgment were made like the other buildings. He also built the same kind of house for his wife, the daughter of the king of Egypt. All these buildings and the great court were made of fine stones from the foundations to the eaves. The stones were prepared at the quarry and cut to measure, with their inner and outer sides trimmed with saws. The foundations were made of large stones prepared at the quarry, some of them 12 feet long and others 15 feet long. On top of them were other stones cut to measure and cedar beams. The palace court, the inner court of the temple, and the entrance room of the temple had walls with one layer of cedar beams for every three layers of cut stones. Hiram's Task King Solomon sent for a man named Hiram, a craftsman living in the city of Tyre, who was skilled in bronze work. His father, who was no longer living, was from Tyre and had also been a skilled bronze craftsman. His mother was from the tribe of Naphtali. Hiram was an intelligent and experienced craftsman. He accepted King Solomon's invitation to be in charge of all the bronze work, the two bronze columns. Hiram cast two bronze columns, each one 27 feet tall and 18 feet in circumference, and placed them at the entrance of the temple. He also made two bronze capitals, each one seven and a half feet tall, to be placed on top of the columns. The top of each column was decorated with a design of interwoven chains and two rows of bronze pomegranates. The capitals were shaped like lilies, six feet tall, and were placed on a rounded section which was above the chain design. There were 200 pomegranates in two rows around each capital. Hiram placed these two bronze columns in front of the entrance of the temple. The one on the south side was named Jachin, and the one on the north was named Boaz. The lily-shaped bronze capitals were on top of the columns, and so the work on the columns was completed. The bronze tank. Hiram made a round tank of bronze, seven and a half feet deep, 
15 feet in diameter, and 45 feet in circumference. All around the outer edge of the rim of the tank were two rows of bronze gourds, which had been cast all in one piece with the rest of the tank. The tank rested on the backs of 12 bronze bulls that faced outward, three facing in each direction. The sides of the tank were three inches thick. Its rim was like the rim of a cup curving outward like the petals of a lily. The tank held about 10,000 gallons. The bronze carts. Hiram also made 10 bronze carts, each was six feet long, six feet wide, and four and a half feet high. They were made of square panels which were set in frames, with the figures of lions, bulls, and winged creatures on the panels. And on the frames, above and underneath the lions and bulls, there were spiral figures in relief. Each cart had four bronze wheels with bronze axles. At the four corners were bronze supports for a basin. The supports were decorated with spiral figures in relief. There was a circular frame on top of the basin. It projected upward 18 inches from the top of the cart and 7 inches down into it. It had carvings around it. The wheels were 25 inches high. They were under the panels and the axles were of one piece with the carts. The wheels were like chariot wheels. Their axles, rims, spokes, and hubs were all of bronze. There were four supports at the bottom corners of each cart, which were of one piece with the cart. There was a nine-inch band around the top of each cart. Its supports and the panels were of one piece with the cart. The supports and panels were decorated with figures of winged creatures, lions, and palm trees wherever there was space for them, with spiral figures all around. This, then, is how the carts were made. They were all alike, having the same size and shape. Hiram also made ten basins, one for each cart. Each basin was six feet in diameter and held 200 gallons. He placed five of the carts on the south side of the temple and the other five on the north side, the tank he placed at the southeast corner. Summary List of Temple Furnishings Hiram also made pots, shovels, and bowls. He completed all his work for King Solomon for the Lord's temple. This is what he made. The two columns, the two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the columns, the design of interwoven chains on each capital, the 400 bronze pomegranates in two rows of 100 each around the design on each capital, the 10 carts, the 10 basins, the tank, the 12 bowls supporting the tank, the pots, shovels, and bowls. All this equipment for the temple, which Hiram made for King Solomon, was of polished bronze. The king had it all made in the foundry between Succoth and Zarathon in the Jordan Valley. Solomon did not have these bronze objects weighed because there were too many of them, and so their weight was never determined. Solomon also had gold furnishings made for the temple, the altar, the table for the bread offered to God, the ten lampstands that stood in front of the most holy place, five on the south side and five on the north, the flowers, lamps, and tongs, the cups, lamp snuffers, bowls, dishes for incense, and the pans used for carrying live coals, and the hinges for the doors of the most holy place and of the outer doors of the temple, all these furnishings were made of gold. When King Solomon finished all the work on the temple, he placed in the temple storerooms all the things that his father David had dedicated to the Lord, the silver, gold, and other articles. 
Acts chapter 7, verses 30 through 50. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. Moses was amazed by what he saw and went near the bush to get a better look. But he heard the Lord's voice, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and dared not look. The Lord said to him, Take your sandals off, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have seen the cruel suffering of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans, and I have come down to set them free. Come now, I will send you to Egypt. Moses is the one who was rejected by the people of Israel. Who made you ruler and judge over us? They asked. He is the one whom God sent to rule the people and set them free with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush. He led the people out of Egypt, performing miracles and wonders in Egypt and at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the desert. Moses is the one who said to the people of Israel, God will send you a prophet, just as he sent me, and he will be one of your own people. He is the one who was with the people of Israel assembled in the desert. He was there with our ancestors and with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and he received God's living messages to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. They pushed him aside and wished that they could go back to Egypt. So they said to Aaron, Make us some gods who will lead us. We do not know what has happened to that man Moses who brought us out of Egypt. It was then that they made an idol in the shape of a bull, offered sacrifice to it, and had a feast in honor of what they themselves had made. So God turned away from them and gave them over to worship the stars of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. People of Israel, it was not to me that you slaughtered and sacrificed animals for 40 years in the desert. It was the tent of the god Molech that you carried and the image of Rephan, your star god. They were idols that you had made to worship, and so I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tent of God's presence with them in the desert. It had been made as God had told Moses to make it, according to the pattern that Moses had been shown. Later on, our ancestors who received the tent from their fathers carried it with them when they went with Joshua and took over the land from the nations that God drove out as they advanced. And it stayed there until the time of David. He won God's favor and asked God to allow him to provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built him a house. But the Most High God does not live in houses built by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? Where is the place for me to live in? Did not I myself make all these things? Psalm 128, the reward of obedience to the Lord. Happy are those who obey the Lord, who live by his commands. Your work will provide for your needs. You will be happy and prosperous. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your home, and your children will be like young olive trees around your table. A man who obeys the Lord will surely be blessed like this. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper all the days of your life. May you live to see your grandchildren. Peace be with Israel. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verses 31 through 33. Long life is the reward of the righteous. Gray hair is a glorious crown. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. People cast lots to learn God's will, but God himself determines the answer. Okay, so a couple things. I love the blessings in the psalm that we read today. You guys are probably going to hear some iteration of that in a future podcast closing. I don't know if you've paid attention, but I've been trying to add blessings um, in my closings because I feel like if I could just send you out with some kind of inspirational or motivational thought, maybe it'll set the tone for the rest of your day or set your evening up to have a peaceful, restful, sweet kind of slumber. So I just really love that psalm today, and I'm definitely I'm definitely going to use it. The other thing I love is the proverb, gray hair is a glorious crown. And I am a woman of a certain age now, and I have been having gray hair sprouting up everywhere. It's in my edges, it's in my kitchen, the nape of my neck. And so I just love this beautiful reminder that my gray hair, it is a crown. It is something that I should embrace. So I'm not dying mine. I'm not gonna say I'm never gonna dye it, but I'm definitely not dying it yet. The next thing, I love verse 32 in that proverb where it says, it is better to win control over yourself than over whole city. This bespeaks the idea of self-discipline and self-mastery. I read a quote once or I heard it somewhere that if you master yourself, you can master anything. So that one really resonated with me. And then Today and yesterday in Acts, we have been exploring the riveting testimony of Stephen, one of the first deacons of the early church. And his speech before the Sanhedrin in Acts 7 is a master class in courage, conviction, and vision. Stephen knew the word of God inside and out. The man was quoting from memory. He wove together the history of Israel with eloquence and passion, demonstrating how God's faithfulness pointed directly to Jesus as the Messiah. But Stephen didn't just have knowledge, he had hearts. Filled with the Spirit, Stephen confronted their hypocrisy with grace and truth. His love for God and his people compelled him to warn them of sin and invite them into salvation. Stephen's speech challenges us today. It calls us to immerse ourselves in Scripture, kind of like what we're doing here, to love God and others wholeheartedly, to be filled with courage and compassion. It dares us to follow Jesus's example, even when we are facing false accusations, haters, injustice. And thankfully, we don't have to worry about this too much today, not in the Western hemisphere, but death. As Stephen spoke, he saw a vision, and I think this is so beautiful too. He saw a vision of heaven opening and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus as his advocate and his friend. And I wonder if he could kind of see where things were going, if he started to sense what was about to happen to him because his words infuriated the crowd. They were enraged. 
but he remained steadfast. And spoiler alert, it cost him his life. And I suppose that he died the way that he lived, with grace, with faith, and with love. The man was praying for his enemies, even as the stones fell. We're going to see it tomorrow when we read about it. Stephen's speech was not in vain, though. God used his testimony to spread the gospel far beyond Jerusalem. It has inspired generations of persecuted Christians with hope and perseverance that if Stephen got through it, hey, we gonna be all right doing what we do too. Stephen's speech also transcends time. His courage in the face of death calls us forward today to live completely and fully and wholly for Christ, to seek first the kingdom of God. Let's approach our challenges and our stressors and our adversity with the same spirit-filled conviction that fueled Stephen's final testimony. Though the world may rage against the truth, we know who we believe in. We know the one who stands ready to receive us into glory. We know the one who holds our future. We know the vision of heaven is certain and the victory that we have in Christ is complete. Like Stephen, may we gaze into heaven and see Jesus, our eternal advocate and friend, the son of man, our exalted Lord, our risen savior, our faithful witness, the coming judge, our defender, intercessor, and our confidant. And may his face shine on us just like it did on Stephen as we carry the light of the gospel with us everywhere we go. If nothing else, the testimony of Stephen reminds us we have nothing to fear in this life or the next if we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ. So let us live with that confidence, with that grace, with that courage and that love secure in the promise of eternal joy and the presence of our Savior. Yes. Let's pray, y'all. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We are so grateful for each breath, each sunrise and sunset, each moment that you give us. We don't take any of it for granted. Lord, we thank you for your presence that fills this space as we gather to hear your voice each day. We thank you for your grace that covers our sins and makes us right before you. Lord, we thank you for your love that never fails and never gives up on us. Lord, help us to be intentional in connecting with you, intentional in repenting of our sins and seeking out your will. Do a mighty work in us, Lord, as we commit to knowing you more and transforming ourselves into becoming the best versions of ourselves. Lord, bless each person listening right now with more than what they've been asking for. Give them an overflow of whatever it is that they need right now. Fill them with your peace, your joy, and your love. Lord, give them more patience and persistence. Lord, give them more endurance and stamina. Lord, protect them from harm. Guide them in the truth and empower them by your spirit. Lord, smile on them today and let them feel you smiling. Show them your favor. Look on them with kindness and give them peace of mind, Lord. Lord, we expect that you will do great things in our lives as we seek you with all our hearts. Lord, we expect that you will continue to transform us into the image of your Son and our Savior. Lord, we expect that you will use us for your glory and for your purposes. Lord, we pray all of these things in our Holy Savior's name. Amen. And our affirmation for today, I am a recipient of God's grace and he forgives me completely. 
I am a recipient of God's grace and He forgives me completely. And our aphorism, peace is the result of retraining your mind to process life as it is, rather than as you think it should be. That is all I have for you today. Thank you for being on this epic adventure with me. May God's glory shine upon you and fill your heart with awe. May God's grace flow through you and touch the lives of all. May God's blessing rest upon you and make your way secure. May God's wisdom guide you and keep you ever pure. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you. Thank you.